0: Amen. man, it might be deep, but it's not hard to be a part of God's love, is it? I was going to say it's not deep to understand, but I don't know if I understand how much He loves me. Sure appreciate that saying. I appreciate you all coming out in the middle of the week. There's about a million other things you could be doing, but you came out, and I pray the Lord give you what you need tonight. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Chapter 4. Are we on? We're on. Okay. I'm usually off. That's all right. Chapter 4. Good to be saved tonight, isn't it? Beats anything Walmart's got on sale. Amen. <laughs> Walmart even runs sales anymore? We have now entered the generation that no longer coupons. You know why? Their work. <laughs> I was a kid, mother cut every coupon out she could find. <laughs> and I, and I, I had this crazy idea that, you know, the older you got, you get away from coupons and I married a gal who's, my goodness, coupons coming out your ears. You know, so many coupons at the end of shop just beep, 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 you know, just sit there incessantly. But uh, anyway, okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Possibly. Okay, now we have a, a time at the end of the service to get right, and I'll consider it, amen. <laughs> amen. Now, you you heard that. I did make the bed, but after I made it, I'm in, that's a terrible job. The sheet was hanging down on one side. And I said, I said I'm going to leave it. It's... I mean, I did I did my best at the moment, and anyways, <laughs> amen, first Thessalonians, it's good to be saved, and if you can't enjoy your salvation, you've got a problem, amen, all right, now we left off on verse two, but I'm going to backtrack just a little bit, I think it's really important that we do, let's pray, Father, we sure love you, thank you for a perfect Bible, and Father, we're thankful, Lord, it doesn't need any updates, or it doesn't need any new revisions. Lord, we're thankful that we don't have to find some mythical fact checker to see if it's right. I think we can open it up and turn to it and know that it's absolutely true. Thank you for the confidence that we have. Whew. Thank you for loving us. Help us, Lord, as we look at your word. In your name, amen. All right. Now, as we turn the the corner here in First Thessalonians chapter 4, you've got to remember that all the tribulation and all the persecution and all the difficulties that Paul and the saints that have been together uh, through in chapter 3, uh, now here in chapter 4, what Paul is going to do is he's going to try to encourage them. Amen. And that's what I just wanted to back up a little bit and I want you to realize that everything that we've been dealing with is absolute truth, but now you're going to see Paul is going to try to encourage them. And you know, sometimes in the Christian life, you just need encouraged. Amen. The world does a fine job of beating the fire out of you all week long, don't it? Amen. And we have a tendency uh, in our families to do a good job of that ourselves. It's <laughs> kind of let each other have it every now and then. But Paul's going to do the best he can to encourage them. And I want you to see, I mentioned this uh, last time we was together, but in verses 1 to 12, he talks about a very important doctrine. And it's not talked about very much anymore, and it really, uh, it behooves our attention. It means we ought to pay attention to it. It's about the doctrine of sanctification. And look at verse 1 here. We won't cover everything we covered on Wednesday, just a little bit of review here. Verse 1, the Bible says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how ye ought to walk. You see that right there? And Paul continues to tell uh, the Thessalonians that it's important that you know how to walk. And it's not just how you talk, amen, but it's important how you walk. It's not just important enough for you to have the vocabulary that we as Bible believers use, but what's more important in the vocabulary is you knowing how to back it up with your walk, amen. And so Paul, he's told them here how to please God. And that's one thing, Paul didn't leave the Thessalonians guessing on how you could please the Lord. Amen. Aren't you glad that when you got saved, he gave you a Bible, he gave you his perfect word, and he showed you how to walk? Uh, you would think, by the way, some Christians live, and maybe that's reflective of the churches they attend. They don't know how to walk at all, but the Lord is very specific, and he gives you and I specific instructions on how to walk. And uh, so he says here in verse 1, he says, uh, he says I beseech you. Paul is, uh, he's, he's, that's I beg you, I exhort you. And uh, when he exhorts them, uh, Paul's trying to stir them up. And the tenor of his conversation, it's almost a command, but not quite. But it's pretty close, you know what I mean? And uh, he says uh, uh, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God so you would abound more and more. And this is what we kind of hinged on at the end of Sunday night. He said, look, you started going in the right direction. You got saved. You got on the right track. Uh, you heard some preaching how to fly straight and live right and do the right thing. He says, now you got to keep it going. you got to keep it going. And uh, we said this, there's a law in the Christian life that goes like this. If you stop growing, you will eventually go backwards. You need to hang on to that thing because you can strive and live for the Lord and do the right things. But if you stop growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're eventually going to go backwards you don't always hang on to the edge of your Christian life. Amen? Uh, If you're not careful and you stop growing, you will go backwards. And I'll tell you this, uh, if you stop growing, you'll eventually lose the progress spiritually that you had gained. Amen? And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself going back to the way of the world and going back to doing the old things that the old man likes to do. And you got you to gotta be careful about that. What you and I have to remember, one of the things that you and I have to keep in the forefront of our mind is you have never attained until death or the rapture. And you are constantly a work in progress. Now that doesn't mean just accept my stupidity. What that means is you have to be constantly striving to be more like Jesus Christ every step of the way. So right now we said this, you and I should be, Growing in grace, growing in grace. And we took you to Titus chapter 2, amen? Uh, Look there one more time with me. We'll just run through this real quick. Titus chapter 2, and there's different types of graces in the Bible. Several graces mentioned in the Bible. You've got the grace that saves. You're going to see this in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. You have what's called sustaining grace, Remember the Lord told Paul, when Paul had some infirmity of the flesh, he said, my grace is sufficient. God gives us sustaining grace, right? When it's your turn to die, guess what? He gives you dying grace. There's different graces mentioned all through the Bible, and they're not all the same thing as saving grace, but in Titus 2.11, he says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And then in verse 12 is very indicative and very telling of what grace is going to do. Grace is going to teach you and I a couple things. Amen? And I say a couple. He's going to teach you a lot of things, at least seven in the passage. He says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So you see that word godly, just real quick? That just simply means that uh, he consults God before acting. If you're going to live godly, You're going to do godly things, you're going to consult the Lord before you do them. So uh, consequently, if you're going to live ungodly, that just means you're going to act and do things without consulting the Lord. And a lot of Christians, I say this, and I'm ambiguous when I say it because I know it happens even in my own Christian life, sometimes you'll live like a practical atheist. You say, what do you mean? You just do things without asking God thinks about it. And I'm not saying you've got to ask the Lord if you can get up and brush your teeth. We're not talking about being silly like that. But, uh, you know, major decisions, major things in life, major endeavors. And next thing you know, we're just making decisions. We're not consulting the Lord on it. You really got to be careful because the more grace that God gives you, He will teach you with grace how to live a godly life. And uh, verse 13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify on himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And Paul's just saying, look, the grace of God is going to teach you some things here. And right now, as you grow in grace, as you grow in grace, it should cause you to live a more holy and a purer life. And that's what Paul's trying to get across to the Thessalonians here. Look at back at 1 Thessalonians 4, look at verse 2. he's saying, look, as you grow in grace, you should become more holy in your living. And I would say, uh, many times in a Christian life, we don't improve in our holy living. And that should give you cause to pause and ask why. Amen? Amen? The more the, the more grace of God you get and the more you grow in grace, it should cause you to live a more holy life. Look at verse 2. For ye know, he's saying, look, you know. You know what commandment we gave you by the Lord Jesus. So there's a, there's a multitude of commandments uh, that Paul has given. And we're not talking about a legalistic commandment. We're not talking about a, an Old Testament sort of thing here. But there's a multitude of things Paul tells you to do as a Christian. Think about it. He tells you, uh, I'll just give you a number. He tells you not to be a stumbling block to other Christians. Amen? He tells you you're supposed to esteem others better than themselves. I never did like that verse. Amen? Why? Because I think I'm a pretty good fellow. Amen? But you're supposed to esteem others better than yourself. Not hard to do unless you're married to them. Right? You're supposed to esteem, well, you know, I'm I'm the head of the home. You know, where's my meat and taters? Well, (laughs) Steam them better than yourself. Uh, Paul tells you several times in, in the New Testament to not be deceived. Amen? That's a hard one. Why? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? John 16, 14, the Holy Spirit of God leads you and guides you into all truth. So how in the world, and I've asked myself, how in the world did I get deceived on that thing? Well, you're not supposed to be deceived. You're supposed to be running that stuff through the book running it through the book, and being led by the Holy Spirit, and being filled by the Holy Spirit, and walking in the Spirit, not by, or not by sight. He tells you not to be deceived. He tells you to walk in the Spirit. Didn't he tell you in First Thessalonians chapter 5, you're supposed to pray always? So there's a lot of, I mean, Paul is very clear throughout the Pauline epistles. He tells you you're supposed to give thanks. It's the will of God that you give thanks. Was that First Thessalonians 5.18? We'll get to that one. <laughs> One well, of the hardest things to do, have the worst day of your life, <laughs> give thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for a rotten day. <laughs> I'm supposed to it somehow, you know. I'm not talking about having a, a, just a rotten attitude about yourself, but a little bit of negativity about yourself goes a long way, man. <laughs> he says you're supposed to pray always. You're supposed to give thanks. Uh, and he tells you uh, many different times as a Christian, you're supposed to repent to stay in fellowship with the Lord. And uh, I suppose if you looked up the word command or commandment, I could give you about a dozen references, but I won't. Um, But it'd be good stuff. And uh, so he says there in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 2, uh, he says, you know, you know, that's what that verse says there. He says, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, all right? And uh, and, uh, look at this, verse 3. He says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Now, don't be afraid of that word. That's just a big word, all right? And there's a lot of words that you need to know. As a Christian, they end in I-O-N or T-I-O-N, like justification, salvation. And here's one, sanctification. You see that? And uh, he says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Uh, now, notice that it says this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And you've heard people say it before. People say, well, I wonder what the will of God is for my life. Or I'd like to know the will of God. And you've said it yourself. You, you've said this. You've questioned this. I wonder if I'm in the will of God. You, you've questioned that thing or you've been doing something. You say, I know this is not the will of God. Or I hope this is the will of God. And, uh, and I really want to know the will of God. Well, let me just tell you. There are several things that you can find simply by running verses that contain that phrase, will of God. And you can find the will of God in several passages. But notice, first of all, in the text itself, notice that the will of God is in reference to your sanctification. You see that? And if you're going to abound, like it says in verse 1, it's not only here on the earth, but He wants you to abound in heavenly riches also. And here's the thing some Christians get from God what they want. Now, follow me through on this thought. Some Christians, they get from God what they want, uh, they're here and now, and then they end up deserting God and they end up deserting the things that God used to help you. And I see it all the time. I see it all the time. Sometimes we get in a bad position, amen? And you'll get out of the will of God, hands in the air. I'm not talking about going nuts, but that could be too, right? But then what does God use? God will use the Bible in your lap. He'll use a loud preacher from the pulpit. He'll use a local church. And what He'll do is He'll override a situation. He'll be long-suffering with you. He'll have mercy with you. And He'll take a stand against the devil... And then when the Christian gets done with it, he just discards the Lord, he discards the Bible, he discards the local church, and he discards it, everything that, that God used to bail him out of his trouble. You've got to see that. That's the way people are. And then the very thing that God uses to help you out, if you're not careful, you'll desert that thing. I want you to stop and think about that Jesus Christ took a stand against the devil for you. He did. You tell me why he should have saved your soul. Amen. He took a stand against the devil. You belong. You are a child of disobedience, the Bible says. John 8, 44, You of your father the devil, so forth and not. So when you got saved, he took a stand against the devil. And then after you got saved, how many times did he take a stand against the devil and a fix that you got yourself into? You see that? He had mercy on you. He allowed you to come back into fellowship with him. And then most Christians will never take a stand for Jesus Christ. Paul talks about the sanctification process in three parts. I want you to see it here. This is probably the bulk of our time here. The first part he talks about is in verses 3 to 5. Verses 3 to 5, and your sanctification is a separation towards God. It's a separation towards God. Uh, I'll put this on the board here. In verses 3 to 5, it's three parts. 3 to 5, it's separation towards God. And that's first and foremost. Like I said, you don't hear much about the doctrine of sanctification anymore. It seems like the older that I get, and I'm not very old, but the older I get, doctrine is no longer taught in the local church. If you're in a church that teaches doctrine, you're in the 1%. A lot of churches anymore, they're a big uh, amalgamation, if I'm saying that word right, just a hodgepodge of get together and tell everyone how good they are and God's grace and God's mercy. Thank God for it, but there's no teaching. There's no doctrinal teaching to help the Christian grow in grace. So in verses 3 to 5, your, separation is, uh, your sanctification is separation towards God. The next part here is in verse 6, 6 to 10. And in verses 6 to 10, that separation is towards the brethren. Secondly, and last but not least, in verses 11 to 12, that's your sanctification, that's separation towards the lost. And it's in three parts. The Lord first, the brethren second, and thirdly, towards the lost. lost. So at this point, let's go to the first one there. We want to talk about the most important thing in your personal life. And that is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. We're talking about you're saved, you've been washed in the blood, you know you're on your way to heaven, and the most important thing moving forward is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now notice this, sanctification simply means to cleanse, to set apart. That's what sanctification means, to cleanse, to set apart, all right? And how much you are used by God, you want to get a hold of this tonight if you can. And uh, before I get too far into this, I heard one preacher say, he heard of a farmer, he had this large, uh, he had just lots and lots of fields of apple trees. And I like a good apple. I can't chew them like I used to, amen. But I like a good apple, amen. So I'm, but anyways, uh, and it was, he had the best apples in his areas. But here's the thing. There are people all the time would sneak into the side of his field, and they'd get into them apples, and they were Terrible. And they'd, they'd spit it out, and they'd turn around and walk away and say, how in the world can his apples be so good? Well, you know what that farmer did? He was so smart. He planted a grove of trees all the way around the outside of his field, and they were terrible. But the good sweet ones, they were a little bit farther in. Can I say this in reference to studying the Bible? If all you ever do is come on a Sunday morning, and I know you're not because you're here, but if all you ever do is come on the outside of that field, sometimes when it comes to getting a hold of God, you've got to go a little bit farther in. sweeter there, isn't it? You see, then that farmer was smart. So I'm hoping you can get a hold of what the sweetness is tonight and not just get on the outside and it's sour and you can't write down all the passages. Write down some passages, amen. Write some notes that help you underline. But if you can't, just listen, amen. And I hope you get a hold of the sweetness here. But this sanctification, it simply means to cleanse and to set apart for God's use. And how much you are used by God is determined by how pure and how set apart you are willing to be. I'll say it again. How much you are used by God is determined by how pure and set apart God can make you. And the more you resist the purifying process and the more you resist the separating process, the less God can use you. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 for a second because here's a great parallel passage. I'm trying to teach this thing in 1 Thessalonians 4 about sanctification and the great sister passage. The parallel passage is found in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is a process, Christian, and we're talking about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And the more you resist that purifying process, and the more you resist the separating process, and every Christian has to go through this process continually, amen, but the more you resist, the less God can use you, look at verse 20, 220, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor, some to dishonor, verse 21, if a man therefore purge himself from these, you see that, notice is something that you have to do, you want to buy, be used? Amen, I want to be used. Well, if I want to be used, then I've got to do some things. I've got to enter, and I've got to stay with the purging process. You know what Christians hate? The purging process. Why? It don't feel too good. It really is a drag. Why? Because what the Lord's doing is the more you grow in grace, He's surfacing those impurities, and they're embarrassing, and they're humbling, and you've got to admit that you're wrong. You mean even after I'm over 50? <laughs> even when you're over 50. And that's why it's embarrassing. Why? No one likes to be told they're wrong, but it's a purging process. You ever see someone purge a plant? You know what happens when you get sick? You purge. <laughs> Ain't no fun, is it? Ain't no fun at all, and that's a purging process. Now, notice there's something you have to do, and he says, uh, if, if you purge yourself, uh, it says, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Now, some of these things he's purging himself in the passage, look in verse 19, he's purging himself from iniquity, amen? And some things that he's purging himself in verse 20 is dishonorable things, And that is all very plain. Now, we'll go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we pick this thing back up. And Paul says that every one of you should know. You should know something then, he says. He says you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. All right? So, it's not something that Paul leaves them in question about. And let me tell you this, Christian. The Lord has not left you in the dark about how you should live. you got the book in front of you. Amen. He hasn't left you in the dark. He says that they should know what to do and how to do it. So, the question is, what's the will of God for my life? Well, first of all, first and foremost, right off the bat, it's the will of God to be separated and sanctified. You see that? Separated and sanctified. Remember, sanctified means to cleanse, let us therefore cleanse ourselves, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1, if a man therefore purge himself, he shall be fit for the master's use, right, he shall be a vessel in honor, all right, to cleanse, to separate, <clears throat> and how much you cleanse, and how much you separate, and how much you're willing to go through that purging process determines how much God can use you, and how about you, I don't, want, I don't want to not be used, Amen. That's just me. I don't know how it is with you. I want to be used by God. I didn't say I want to be the center of attention. I want to be used. I want to know that God's using me. Amen. One thing, I preached a message here a while back about things I've learned on the bench, you know, like not being able to play in the game. I hate the bench. I want to be used. You know what the Lord's saying? All right. Clean up, man. You want me to use you? You know what the Lord's saying? I ain't going to use a dirty vessel. And if I do use a dirty vessel, it's going to be for a really weak thing, right? They got a bread pan or they got a bed pan. <laughs> you, you get the difference? <laughs> one's eaten out of and one's, well, you know the other is. Amen? <laughs> now, uh, sanctification here is a process. Sanctification occurs in three parts. And I'll try to articulate this the best I can without, I'm not I'm trying to confuse you, but I'm going try to help you tonight. Sanctification occurs in three parts, and sanctification being purity and holiness, all right? Sanctification being purity and holiness. So, well, what's the three parts? Well, I thought you'd never ask. It's spoken of in three tenses, and what you want to make sure, Christian, is that you never get the tenses confused. Because if you get the tenses confused, you become like the holiness or the charismatics, and they get all messed up, and that's how they end up losing their salvation in their own doctrine. But you can't lose it. You See what I mean? And if you get these tenses mixed up, then you'll get, go around thinking you can lose what you got. And you can't. That's a blessing. You are eternally secure if you're saved today. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you might be out of fellowship with Him, and He might be unhappy with you, but you're not going to go to hell. And you've got to get that thing worked out in, in the Scriptures and in your head. And uh, you never want to get these uh, tenses confused. First of all, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, all right? Now, the first one we'll look at, sanctification, it occurs in the past. It occurs in the past. And it's dealing with your spirit. Now, every person is a tripart being. Now, that just means there's three of you. Tripart. That's body, that's soul, and spirit. Take God himself. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? So you're created, once you get saved, you're created in the image of God. You have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit, all right? So sanctification, dealing with your past, it's dealing with your spirit. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and look at verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11 this applies to your spirit. Now listen, the moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, your spirit became sanctified. Your spirit became sanctified and it was sanctified the moment you got saved. That is something that God did for you, all right? As you know, we are seated together right now according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, your spirit is seated together with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. Amen? That is your spirit. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it says this, And such were some of you. Paul's talking about before you got saved. Remember before you got saved? Such were some of you. But ye are what? Washed. But ye are sanctified. You see that? Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, that's not your body. That's not this thing. You know why? Because you get up in the morning and it stinks. You get up in the morning and you lost part of it, like your hair, <laughs> right? And it's, it's not your body is not sanctified. Your body is not saved. Your spirit sanctified. God did that for you. And your spirit is sanctified. Notice he says in verse 11, but ye are sanctified. And that occurred when? At the past. For me is April 24th, 1983. Whatever day it is that you remember you trusted Jesus Christ, that occurred in the past. That happened the moment you got saved. Your spirit was sanctified. And that's the past. And that happened at salvation. All right. Secondly, now here comes the present. Here comes the present. Second Corinthians. And that's dealing with your soul. And that's 2 Corinthians, oh, is it 6? 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Sanctification occurs in three tenses past, and now we're dealing with the present. And what you have to realize is that the sanctification of your soul of your soul is a continuing process and I'll explain that it's a continuing process this happened one time one and done Jesus Christ died for you once old hymn writer says once for all amen you only have to get saved one time isn't that a blessing that is a blessing why? Because uh, if you had to get saved multiple times, you all have to get saved every day, and that's ridiculous. Because then you have Jesus Christ going to the cross, going to the cross, going to the cross. Going, you see what I mean? He died once. But when we're dealing with our present, we're dealing with your soul. And what happens is this. The spirit knows what it wants. And you know what also knows what it wants? Your flesh. In the morning, you know what your flesh says? I mean, I'll keep it pastoral. <laughs> it says, Coffee. Or you know, Mountain Dew, or breakfast, or get out of my face, right? Or hopefully scope, or something like that. Your flesh is always craving something. Your spirit knows what it's want, and your flesh knows exactly what it's want. And you can never satisfy your flesh, can you? All right. So theoretically, uh, and and your soul has to make a decision between the spirit and the flesh on a daily basis. Let me put your other one up here. This thing is future. And this has to do with your body or your flesh. All right? So the spirit knows what it wants. And your flesh or your body knows what it wants. And your soul has to make up a decision what it's going to do. You see that? I look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Your soul has to make a decision on what to do. 4.16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, and that's your body, right? Your outward man, that's this guy. That's the stinky guy, right? That's the guy that needs a shower. That's the guy that needs a haircut and all the rest and dentures and everything, right? And hygiene on a regular basis and smelly stuff, right? Why? It's perishing every day. You're not getting better. You're dying. Cheer up, it gets worse. (laughs) Now look at this. Yet the inward man, here it is, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. You see that? The inward man is your soul. It's renewed day by day. And that's a continual process that is going on and will go on until you go home to glory. You see that? Your soul has to make decisions every day. Am I going to walk in the spirit? Am I going to listen to the spirit? Or am I going to listen to the flesh? Here's the interesting thing about that thing. Your soul can be sanctified one minute. It has nothing to do with your salvation. We're talking about your soul. You can be sanctified one minute because you're listening to the spirit. And then the next minute, you're not sanctified because you're listening to the flesh. What a wreck. What a train wreck. But your soul has to continually make the decisions what it's going to do. Is it going to listen to the spirit or is it going to listen to the flesh? All right, <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. Let's look at this last fellow here. Romans chapter 8 says that your body is not yet redeemed. And I'm sure you're all familiar with this. Look, it's, your body is not yet sanctified. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that you don't have a sanctified body. <laughs> you know that it's not holy. You know that your body's not pure. And what you have to realize is that you do everything you can to bring your physical body under subjection, and it's an absolute uh, fight. (laughs) But still, the next day after you brought it under subjection, it will wind up getting out of subjection the next. Look at Romans 8.21. The Bible says, "...because the creature itself also shall be delivered." from the bondage of corruption. You see that phrase, bondage of corruption? That's your flesh. This is your prison house. The only way you're getting out of this is by death of the rapture. You are all in a prison today, and it's that thing you look at in the mirror. That is the bondage of corruption. Why? Well, it's got you bound, and it's corrupting every day, (laughs) some more than others. And uh, it's also talking about the animals in the passage. So it says, uh, itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption, that's your flesh, and the glorious liberty of the children of God. Look at verse 22. Paul says, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, here we are with our fleshly body, right? Which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. uh, That is, uh, you're in your fleshly cage. Waiting for the adoption to wit, here it is, the redemption of our body. So your physical body has not yet been redeemed. So remember, that's the sanctification process in three stages. Your spirit was sanctified the moment you trusted Jesus Christ in the past. Your soul is a continuing process of choosing. It has to make decisions. Am I going to sanctify and listen to the spirit? Or am I going to be unsanctified and listen to my flesh, my body? And future, your body, when that trumpet sounds, Amen, we're gonna get a body just like Jesus Christ. Amen. amen. I sure am looking forward to that. I mean, I know I park here and fantasize about things, but it's gonna be wonderful one day to when they say leap tall buildings in a single bound, you know, and all that stuff. You meant everything that Superman is, is what Jesus Christ was and so much more. That's a blessing. And that's future, your body. And that's Romans 8:21 and 22. That's the three stages of sanctification. Remember, sanctification, meaning to cleanse, to set apart. Sanctification being purity and holiness. But here's the thing: that sanctification process, the present, your soul, uh, sanctified on a daily basis according to your decisions, your will, and the future is your body. One day will be sanctified, redeemed, and you'll have a new body altogether. But here's the thing. Here's the thing you got to watch out for. And this thing is showing up in a lot of bible believing churches these days. And what it is, it's hyper-dispensationalist doctrine. That hyper-dispensationalist says your body's already been sanctified. <laughs> Why does it stink then? I know you, I know, I know you gals, you don't smell. You always smell pretty. But let me tell you what, you don't put the smell on and whatever it is all you all do, you all stank. But uh, that hyperdispensation says your body's already been redeemed, so forth and so on, and therefore your body can never sin. That's what they say, and then consequently they tr- throw out First John one nine, and then they're no longer repentant for sin because well you know I got a new body I'm in Christ and I don't oh yeah okay well, that, that don't work that's not true you know that your body can sin it's the spirit that can't sin. The new man can't sin, but that old man is still very, very capable of sinning. Amen? And you've got to be very, very careful about keeping that thing in the proper order. Amen? Um, So again, I I want you to get this thing down on sanctification. The first part of your sanctification is your separation towards God. That right there. The very first part, verses 3 to 5. And when you separate from the world and from things... Uh, that you are not to have anything to do with. You're to separate from the world and towards God. It's a two-part thing. You don't just turn a blind eye to the world. You separate from the world, and you separate towards God. Uh, Remember what the Lord said in Mark chapter 12? He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Does that embody your Christian life? That's how you and I should live. We should love the Lord. You know, a lot of people want to take that out and say, well, you know, it's the love of the brethren that's more important. Or you'll hear certain groups, and, and I know the groups, and say, well, it's all about the lost. Win the lost at any cost. I'm all about seeing people get saved, aren't you? But let me tell you what, that's not more important than loving the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to get the thing right. Some people say uh, winning souls is more important than loving God, but that ain't true. I mean, Jesus Christ himself said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So you've got to be make sure that God comes first in everything. And I personally believe that that's where our churches are hurting today. They've got everything in front of loving Jesus Christ. What did, the, what did John say about the church at Ephesus? They had, first, they had left their first love. They were doing everything right. They had all the ministries. They, they were doing the first work. They were doing all the things right. But they had left their first love. And what's most important, you've got to be careful to make sure that God comes first in everything, no matter what it is. And when you start talking about the world and things of the world, you have to be willing to separate from everything of the world. And one of the things that is in the will of God is for you to be delivered from this present evil world. Look at Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. One of the things that's in the will of God is for you to be daily delivered from this present evil world. Bible says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 4, Paul says, who gave himself for our sins. He didn't give... His son for your tears, like Marcia J. Stevens said in her song back in the 70s. She was lying. He said, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. See, notice, and I know many of you know this, I've taught this several times, but Calvary was not just so you could get saved. Thank God for salvation, but Calvary was also so you could be daily, presently delivered from this present evil world. That means it's ideas. I'm looking forward to the day I can get delivered from this world's ideas. That means it's fashions. Whoever comes up with the world's fashions, they got to be on crack, I'm telling you. How about this? The world's methods. You know what I hate? I hate the world's methods. I do. Why? Because they're catchy. They're appealing. makes me think I need to have them. Makes you you say what you want. You might well. I don't need any of that. Help yourself, but you hang around a lot. That social media will talk you into thinking that you have to have it. You say, "No, I don't have to have it. I can do without it." Then how come you check it fifty times a day? That's the world. That's the world tricking you into its methods, its motives, and everything that how it operates. Romans chapter twelve, verse two. Many of you know it says, "And be not conformed to this world." but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you're not supposed to be like the world. Amen? You're here today, you're a Christian. You are not supposed to be like the world. You're not supposed to look like the world. You're not supposed to talk like the world. I guess, if I mean, you shouldn't even smell like the world. Unless you have to work in the world. Then I get it, right? What does James 4.4 4 says? James 4.4 4 said, Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So you're going to snuggle up to this world? You're gonna have to be God's enemy to do it. Not only that, but Luke chapter 6. I know I'll throw some verses at you, but they should help you. Luke 16, 15 says, For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Isn't that a wild verse? Highly esteemed among men. You know what's highly esteemed among men? The world's methods, the world's fashions, everything the world wears, everything the world eats. I don't think the world should ever tell you nothing. I mean, Caesar might tell you how fast you can drive. Amen. I get it. <laughs> and it's going to tell you certain laws. We're talking about government. I get that. I'm not, about, I'm not a revolutionist. I'm not about going against the government. That's ridiculous. But amen. I That world shouldn't tell you nothing. It shouldn't tell you what to eat, when to eat, where to eat, and how to eat. It shouldn't tell you how to dress. Every one preacher told you, I kind of adopt this philosophy. If the world ever comes out and tells you that short hair is in, I'm growing mine long. Amen. Why? I don't want the world telling me nothing. You say, that's ridiculous. Is it? Or are you just okay with letting the world tell you what to do? Amen. (laughs) And you think about it. Most people are a slave to fashion, if you're willing to be honest. And before you get to thinking that you need to teach people how to dress... Because that's a big thing in our Bible-believing circles. You got to teach everyone how to dress, right? You got to teach everyone. You gotta go into your closet and you gotta tell everyone what to wear. But before you get to thinking, you need to share with someone how they need to dress and how they need to walk and talk. You know what's important? The heart has to come first. I take your Bible, look at first Corinthians chapter seven. I know some of you know this stuff like the back of your hand. A man, it's just good to get in the old fertile ground of truth and the old plow ground of the King James Bible and let that book speak to your soul one more time. 1 Corinthians 7.31. Now you should get a hold of this verse. It says, And they that use this world as not abusing it. Now look at it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. That's what the Lord thinks about fashion. One day it's going to die. You ain't got no business following fashion. It's just going to make you broke anyways. And by the time you get all caught up to date, they change it. And I tell you, every year goes by, they look fruitier and fruitier and fruitier. I just, I'll tell you what, girls look like boys and boys look like girls, and they look, I don't know, animals and whatever, you know. It's just ridiculous. So things in this world are eventually going to pass away, and you cannot, Christian, listen, you cannot let the things of this world control you And many of them do because you have such an influence of what's going into your eyes and what's going into your ears. So then what's the most important thing? Well, it's our relationship with Jesus Christ, right? That is the most important thing. So don't start acting like a Christian. Hear me out. Don't start dressing like a Christian until you've determined that you're going to be a Christian. And that decision has to come from your heart. And many people today, the holiness uh, crowd back from the mid-80s, and many Bible believers as well today, they can dress the right way. I got a list here. They got the right haircut. They got the right dress. Their women don't work outside the home. Their men wear the suits and ties. I'm not against all that stuff. I'm for it if you can do it. But guess what? We don't live in the 50s no more. I don't know about you, but we both got to work. And if you don't have to, praise God, pass a chicken, amen. We're coming over for dinner. But that ain't everybody. You and I live in a world that's busted, broken, divorced, uh, whatever, adopted. You know, you know all that other stuff, and y'all gonna have to work just the way it is. And uh, but all you know, this crowd—they all go door knocking. They all have bus ministries. They all have a special meeting every quarter. Some have a special meeting every six weeks. We're, we're fortunate we can do it every other year. <laughs> Amen they have a special meeting so forth and so on but you know what it is it's all an outward show you see where I'm getting at it's all about your heart look at 1 peter 3:15 we'll just keep driving just a couple more nails in this thing and let that bible convince you if you're not convinced yet It's real telling here in 1 peter chapter 3 verse 15 the order of importance in the christian life 1 peter 3:15 the bible says But sanctify, isn't that what we're talking about? But sanctify the Lord God in your dress. Is that what it says? That ain't what it says, is it? But sanctify the Lord God in your church building. (laughs) He said, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Why? Here's why. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So here's the catch-22. Before you get ready to give an answer to somebody, you've got to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Otherwise, you're going to give somebody an answer with an impure heart. you going to tell someone how to dress, are you? you going to tell someone what they should be involved in? You better sanctify your heart first, because if your heart isn't sanctified, you're going to give an answer and open your mouth out of an impure heart, and that ain't the right thing to do. So that heart sanctification is most important to the child of God, that your relationship is priority Number one, so you've got to be real careful to make sure that you have the right heart before you try to get somebody else right on the outside. And back in First Thessalonians chapter four, verses three to five, that first one is what we're talking about, your relationship to God is what is most important. And then secondly, right here, in verses six to 10, your relationship toward the brethren is important. That's doing right in front of your brothers and sisters. Some people are way out of balance on that thing. And then, last of all, doing right in front of the lost. That's the sanctification process. A lot of churches, you know what they do? They reverse it. They say, well, win the lost at any cost, serve the Lord with gladness, and we'll work on this over time. That ain't right, that's out of balance. You get in there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5, and your separation begins against the world and towards God. Job one, your heart. And then you move towards the brethren, the brethren more, the brethren first after that, and then finally towards the lost. And you've got to be extra careful of that thing. And verses 1 to 12, it's a very, very practical lesson. And the practical lesson is this. First of all, you've got to be right towards the Lord. And then You've got to be right towards the brethren, and then you've got to be right towards the lost. That's verses 1 to 12. We're still on verse 4, but here's why. Verses 1 to 12, what starts in verse 13? Paul starts talking about the rapture. Verses 13 to 18. Listen, if you don't have things in order, if you're not right with the Lord first, and then right towards the brethren, right towards the lost, you're not going to enjoy the rapture. I mean, you will, but you're not going to be looking forward to it. And the illustration goes like this. Uh, you've heard it probably before. The illustration goes like this, that a mother uh, had baked a bunch of fresh chocolate chip cookies, gooey with, like, more chocolate chips than should be allowed in there. And so she, she let them she cool down, kind of, and put them in the cookie jar. And she told her son, look, I'm going go to the, I'm gonna go to the store. Don't get in the cookie jar. Don't eat any cookies because it'll spoil your dinner, right? And so... That boy said, yes, Mama, you're right. I will not get into the cookie jar. I will not eat any cookies. So she leaves and goes to the store, and guess what happens? Them cookies start talking to that boy. Ever do that to you? Middle of the night? Just me? Okay. And so them cookies start talking to that boy, and the boy starts talking back to the cookies. And the next thing you know, he's got the chair. And next thing you know, he's on the counter. And next thing you know, his hand's in the cookie jars. And just about the time he's pulling out the cookie, here comes Mama. Let me tell you what, there's no doubt in my mind that that boy loves his mama, but he sure definitely did not love her appearing. (laughs) And that's how that thing goes. (laughs) And let me tell you what, if you're not right towards the Lord, first of all, and then right towards the brethren, and then right towards the lost, you're not going to be looking forward to the rapture, and you're not going to be looking forward to his appearing, and that thing ain't going to give you any peace and ain't going to give you any joy, and that's how that thing goes. And this is not the idea of legalism. This is the idea that you get between verses 1 to 12. I've got to do things according to how God and the Bible wants me to do them. That's how I got to do it. And that stuff will lead you, and Paul encourages them in verse 1, how you ought to walk and to please God more and more. So he's saying, look, go on. You started right. Go on. Don't stop. Keep getting better. Keep doing more and more. The more preaching that you put in, the more praying that you put in, and going to church and studying your Bible, and, as one fellow says, he says, You know what? I can't stop watching this ridiculous stuff on the television set. Well, let me tell you what. You have got to learn to take the negative things out of your life, and I'm going to say it, you have to learn to replace it with the positive. And I'm not an advocate, you know me, I'm not an advocate about just solely positive thinking. But there's no better way to do things than to take the positive things in the Christian life, like reading your Bible, the positive things like prayer, the positive things like studying your Bible, the positive things and going to church, so forth and so on. There's no better thing in life than taking those positive things and replacing the negative things that you're doing right now. That'll help you. That'll help you be prepared for His coming. Well, back to First Thessalonians 4, i make a couple of comments and go home. 4 verse 1, he says, Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Now, Paul gives you some things right here in the passage as to what the will of God is. And you might say, well, that's great, preacher, but I ain't no fornicator. Well, praise the Lord. Let me tell you this. In the passage you're looking at, it has nothing to do with sex. It has nothing to do with sex. What Paul's talking about here is spiritual fornication. And spiritual fornication is a serious offense to God. I'm not against taking that thing and making a practical application. You shouldn't fornicate as a child of God. Amen. And that's a serious offense to God. What that means is you love the idols of this world more than you love God. You see that? And what you end up doing as a Christian, you turn towards those idols and turn away from God. And you commit spiritual fornication with them. And the Lord don't like that stuff at all. But to be in the will of God in this passage, I'll give you these things and we'll call it a night. In this passage alone, if you want to be in the will of God, number one, he says you should abstain from fornication. That's the will of God. Abstain. That's like abstinence. That's the right teaching Abstinence. All right, number two, you want to be in the will of God in the passage? Verse 4. He says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. He says you should know why. You got a book that tells you how. Amen. Number three is found in verse 5. Verse 5. He says, not in the lust of concupiscence. You say, what is that? That's a big old word. That just simply means letting your flesh do whatever it wants. That's all that means. He says, not in the lust of concupiscence. And that's what the hyperdispensationalists teach. And that's what a lot of the Baptist churches are teaching. And that's what some Bible-believing churches are teaching, that you have, listen now, they will say this from the pulpit, that you have liberty to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't cause your brother to stumble. And that's not true. We'll get to that later, not tonight. But notice the fourth thing here in verse 6. He says that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. You want to be in the will of God? Don't defraud your brother. Have someone do some work for you? Pay him. Well, they didn't do the job. Pay him. Give that thing to the Lord. No man go beyond defraud his brother. You should never defraud your brother. We'll get more to that next time we're on. Number five is found in verse 7. You're called to holiness. I want to be in the will of God, preacher. All right, you're called unto holiness. For God has not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. And you can't forget number six, and we'll stop here. And this embodies verse 11 and 12. You have to be a good testimony to the lost. You want to be in the will of God? Then be a good testimony to those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's all found in the passage about the will of God, the will of God, the will of God. And like we said, there's a lot of other passages that will help you with understanding the will of God. But right there in the text, man, there's, man, there's six things right there. Bat, bat, one right after another. You want to be in the will of God? It's there and you can find it. All right, we'll stop right there. Sanctification in the will of God.